Hi there. So it was Einstein that said, future medicine will be the medicine of frequencies. Now, it's pretty crazy. You could say that someone as bright and as intelligent as Einstein um, would be sitting there, you know, over a hundred years after he said this. And frequency medicine is certainly not the kind of medicine most of us get when we go to a hospital or clinic. Obviously, there are examples of it. You know, MRI is a great example. Um, but um, and, and uh, ECG uh, or EEGs measuring the rhythm of the heart or brain waves uh, fr from the brain um, are examples of energy being measured. But what particularly hasn't happened is that is actually seeing this um, transition towards using frequency, particularly for treatments. And the case we're making is that actually we're now at the juncture of understanding that biochemistry and molecular biology are very limited ways of looking at the human body. Um, so why, why might this be? Well, um, the key driver is that the pharmaceutical industry has been controlling the research space, the education space, and certainly the products and even the services that are available in healthcare. Um, and there was some fascinating work going on um, in the early part of the 20th century. And most of this has been completely nailed. In fact, regulators um, like the FDA uh, in the United States basically knocked it um, out of existence um, and has generally reacted very negatively um, to many of the, the kind of frequency technologies that might pose a threat to pharmaceuticals. So when we look at the um, extraordinary people, there, there are a handful of them, people like um, Albert Abrams that, that um, was really seen as the father of radionics, probably the first person to really in a practical sense recognize that in medicine, it is really important to understand that each and every um, atom and molecule in every cell is vibrating at a certain frequency. And we can understand more about these, these vibrations and these resonances, um, we might be able to treat it. And of course, um, there was a whole lot of devices that Abrams developed that um, um, he argued um, and claimed could cure pretty much all diseases. Um, and like many of the founders, many of the early pioneers, he ended up dying penniless. Um, then there was Royal Raymond Rife, um, extraordinary inventor, you know, the um, dark field microscopes. He, he had developed microscopes that could um, uh, magnify to the power of 17,000 times or more. Um, extraordinary. And then he also developed these plasma devices that could alter the vibrational state of living things, including humans and also um, develop machines that we know today as Rife machines. And there's a very wide range of technologies that use these Rife frequencies um, that have also um, been found to, to create many benefits. And of course, they've also been hounded. And sadly, again, Raymond Rife um, died in a hotel room, uh, almost penniless once again. Um, you've then got the, the great Germanic tradition um, Reinhold Voll, 
um, was really the father of electroacupuncture pressure. Um, and um, uh, there's a lot of bioresonance technologies that have developed subsequently. And of course, he was one of the first to really bring some of these, this understanding of, of the biofield and the fact that the body has this dual energy system that, that is built from frequencies, from, from energy, um, uh, basically alongside the Eastern model that includes what the Chinese referred to as, as Qi, what, the, uh, what, what is called an Ayurveda, both incredibly long-standing traditions, um, will refer to as prana, um, that will work through these energy channels, these meridians. Um, and, um, and by using um, electricity and microcurrents at specific points in these energy centers and along these energy channels, you can massively magnify and, um, and shorten the duration of treatment and, and get astounding results. And then, of course, there's um, Fritz Albert Pop. And um, Fritz Albert Pop is really the person, the biophysicist, who really put um, biophotons on the map. Um, it was understood as early by a Russian scientist back in um, the 1920s that there were very ultra-weak light emissions coming from cells. And in the 1970s, Pop picked up this work, um, called these photons, so it's a form of electromagnetic energy, very weak light, that emanates from all living cells. And in fact, much of his work over decades and his research group um, determined that, that actually it is the DNA that is right at the heart of issuing this light. So um, it kind of fits very nicely with the molecular biology concepts of the, the chemistry of the double helix also being something really quite remarkable that issues light. Um, so we are quite literally um, light beings. Um, and you can understand why um, some of his work later um, did show that when we move into a diseased state, we lose some of that light. We lose some of that resonance. We lose some of that vibration. And if we can elevate that energetic state, um, and this is really where the whole field of um, um, biophoton therapy uh, moves in, um, biontology, um, we can actually improve the health state. And this has even been used in, in cancers. And we know, for example, that uh, tumor cells, for example, have roughly half the light emission of healthy tissues. So um, all pretty interesting and relevant stuff. And yet, it hasn't been taken up by the mainstream. So, what happened along the way? Um, why did biochemistry become the mainstay? And why has quantum biology, um, biophysics been still kept into the margins? And I think it's pretty easy to, to say that if you have a business as the pharmaceutical industry has created, particularly since the post-World War II period, that is built on patents with new-to-nature molecules that can be given on a daily basis, often at 
very high levels of cost, that is a much better business model than having people um, experiencing frequencies, whether they're delivered from hands-on healing, whether they're delivered um, uh, using a particular technology, a standard uh, frequency, or um, one that is a biofeedback device, like some of the technologies that are available today, that actually read the body's energy system and then intelligently respond to give a frequency that helps specific tissues and organs to get into that optimal range of, of bioresonance. Um, and um, so that model hasn't suited it. Having said that, there are certainly uh, has been big take up in certain parts of the world. And obviously in the German speaking countries, there are um, thousands of these frequency medicine machines in mainstream hospitals and being used by mainstream or integrative um, clinicians um, that are well accepted by regulators, by um, society. Um, the same cannot be said in most of the English-speaking countries and many other parts of the world. Um, so let's now move and have a closer look um, at the difference between electricity, um, electrochemistry, so electrochemical reactions, um, and electromagnetism itself, because they're all slightly different things, really important to, to understand the differences. Okay, so in the case of electricity, we see movement of electrons. Actually, if, if you look at a, a copper wire in a house, the electron moves pretty slowly. We call that electron drift, um, and, it, and it's generally less than one millimeter per second in the direction of the current. Sounds really, really slow, and it's a little bit um, confusing when one thinks that the electricity wave itself, which is an electromagnetic wave moving down the copper wire, may move at, say, two-thirds of the speed of light. The speed of light is around about close on 300 million meters per second. So it might move at, say, 200 million meters per second. So suddenly, you know, less than one millimeter per second seems pretty slow. Now, the reason for this is the electrons are actually moving in all sorts of directions in the current. So we're setting up a electrical potential that's creating an electromagnetic wave that is shooting down. So it's a bit like one of those bouncing uh, ball devices, cradles, in which, you know, you'll see one ball hitting one side and the other ball moving the other side, um, but actually the balls are not moving very much in between. So that's generally what's happening to the electrons. Um, so, um, and of course, using Einstein's general theory of relativity, where E equals mc squared, we know that energy and mass can be interconverted. So that's why we will see that, um, um, you know, for example, the energy that uh, moves down a copper wire can drive a machine um, and it can move things. It can turn into, uh, you know, a, a mechanical machine, for example, moving bits and pieces. So it can be used in, in, in many, many different ways. Um, 
when you look at um, electrochemistry, we see an interaction between chemicals and electricity. So um, if we look at, for example, a nerve impulse, um, a nerve impulse, say, um, um, they don't move that fast, actually. In fact, a, a pain reaction might move only at one meter per second. Um, so very, very slow in, in the body relatively. But that's an electrochemical potential that's caused by the change in potassium and sodium ions that creates this, this um, and, and these move through voltage-gated channels, and you'll know that epilepsy drugs, for example, work on those channels. But that creates an electrochemical potential that will drive an impulse that needs to move across the synapse, the junction between nerves. Um, so let's now move on to the really important stuff, which is um, what electromagnetism is. So electromagnetism is really where you have a combination of an electrical field working alongside a magnetic field. And these always work at perpendicular to one another. Um, so 90 degrees to one another. Um, and, um, and essentially, because you're creating a wave of energy, that energy is moving the speed of all electromagnetic waves, which is the speed of light, the fastest thing that we know about in the universe, which is, as I said before, just under 300 million meters per second. Um, so, um, and I forgot to say, actually, quite important that, that uh, if we look at, say, back at electricity, which has the um, particles with mass, the electrons, one of the reasons that we see heat generated in a copper wire is because we've got the electrons moving all over the place. So, which of course brings in this issue of resistance, which is why we then have voltage, which is the interaction between current, voltage, um, and, 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 and power. So, um, we don't have that in electromagnetic wave. So, what we have is this wonderful wave of, of energy that can be converted into mass because of general relativity that tells us energy and mass are interconverted. Um, and these energy waves, that is really at the heart of what this is all about, don't just seem to be a byproduct of life. They actually may well be the thing that drives life. Okay. And um, we're going to look in a minute at, at, you know, what the evidence is there. And I'm, I've taken in in the feature that we've written, and please have a, have a read of, of the feature because there's a lot of detail and references and other things in it. Um, we've taken um, five or six examples that, that provide really pretty strong evidence for the fact that, that electromagnetism is essential to life. It is actually a precursor to life. We couldn't have life. We couldn't have the biochemical reactions um, and the gene responses that have dominated science over the last 50 years or so if we didn't have electromagnetic reactions providing the the matrix the intelligence behind all these systems um, so it's it's pretty fascinating stuff so let's just look at sound waves before we go on so sound you know we're all 
society's always been fascinated by by music. We see every animal responds to sound which has resonances. And of course, um, just like light, the, the visible light spectrum within the whole electromagnetic spectrum is this very um, narrow um, wavelength band between about 400 and 800. Well, with sound as well, we, we see um, in frequency terms um, uh, a, also a very narrow range. Most people can't hear much below uh, 50 hertz, um, and that's if you're young. Um, yet your subwoofer on a really good speaker system can go down to 10. So you might ask yourself, why would they go down to 10 or 11 hertz? Well, because we can feel it. So many, many animals actually use sound in that way, that, that there is a, a particular resonance that is a form of communication. We don't just have to have the language that we as human beings use as our dominant system of communication. Um, but the thing about a sound wave is you're looking again at the interaction with particles. So the energy basically being issued following an impact, a resonance, the drawing a, 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 a bow on a violin string is creating a specific movement, characteristic movement of air particles that are transmitting the sound. So that's the reason that the speed of sound is so much slower than the speed of light. And it's also the reason why space is basically silent because there is no uh, matter there to vibrate, but plenty of light we see the Milky Way that's 50,000 light years or, or more away. Okay, so let's now have a look at what kind of evidence um, there is that um, essentially frequencies that um, electromagnetic fields are so essential to life. And we're going to look at six things. So let's, let's start by looking at the biofield. So what, what is the biofield? Well, um, the biofield is the energy body that exists around every single living thing, every human being. So we, we now have cast iron evidence that, that this system, we, we, we've known about parts of it because we, every time we put a, say, a ECG around our, you know, you, you, any of the uh, sports uh, chest straps that measure the heart rate are measuring an electromagnetic signal issued from the heart. So we, we know that it exists in parts of the body. Um, we, we know um, that, that the information that comes from our heart is really, really critical. Um, the Heart Math Institute has done um, lots of work to show that that energy can be transmitted huge distances, can be measured um, outside of space. But we also know that um, the biofield can be measured. So if you look at, say, um, Curlian photography, GDV, um, that, that, that was developed in Russia, um, we can see the energy field that exists around people. And of course, certain individuals have sensory perception that is so acute, they can actually see auras. Um, so we know that this, this system exists. One of the reasons that we can sometimes get a sense about someone is because of the interaction between these energy fields. And it's, it's really interesting that many animals seem to have 
again, to be more sensitive at appreciating what information is carried in this, because critical to all of this is that this electromagnetic energy and this bioelectricity that exists is all about information. It's a carrier of information. So the very fact that the biofield exists means that we can't ignore it. We have a physical body that is around that exists a second system that we can't see. Actually, we can see parts of it because we can see the ultra weak light emissions, the photonic emissions from every single cell if we use equipment that is sensitive enough to do that, which Fritz Albert Pop's group is, was, were really the pioneers in. Um, but in essence, um, we need to take note of the fact that there's this system. And of course, if you look at many forms of um, uh, traditional systems of, of medicine, um, an alternative medicine, there is recognition of these, these, this energetic system and how to work with it. And um, the very fact that we talk about um, improving our vibrations, people were talking about that a lot in the 1960s. Um, somehow they're talking about a little bit less today. Um, but maintaining our frequency um, actually is associated with positivity. So just for the same reasons that I said, when a cell becomes um, tumorigenic, it... it um, loses some of that resonance. So we need to be able to maintain that frequency. The second point really is that um, there was some breakthrough work that was published in 2009 that really confirmed for the first time that DNA strands that are identical are attracted to each other. And the only explanation, because these experiments were conducted um, in saline conditions free of any other electromagnetic fields and the only explanation um, it was popularized in the in the press at the time saying it was telepathic communication um, you'll be familiar with the um, four letter nitrogenous um, base pairs that specifically pair up in in a very specific way the c with the t the a with the g the adenine with the guanine the cytosine with the thymine um, and that occurs because of specific electromagnetic communication. So we know at this fundamental level of the assembly of the information that encodes life is actually driven by an electromagnetic process. And it doesn't take um, a lot to realize that if that electromagnetic process wasn't there beforehand, we wouldn't be able to assemble the stuff of life, the, the genomic code that, that creates life. Um, so that, in, in my mind, is, is really pretty convincing evidence. Um, third thing is that this planet is a magnet. It is a geomagnet. The very fact that we have a polar north and a polar south, these are the North Poles, that's how we work magnets. Um, so, um, and it has a bunch of iron in the, in, the, in the molten core in the middle. So it is a big magnet. So geomagnetism is a fact of life. And of course, this brings us to the work that um, Schumann did um, in the 1950s that, that discovered the resonances of the planet. So the, the planet, now known as the Schumann resonances, actually has an average frequency emission 
of pretty uh, close to 7.5 hertz. And that's one of the Schumann resonances. Now we see actually that it's a harmonic system. So uh, roughly six hertz intervals above that, um, there are um, other harmonics. So all of life has been adapted around these extraordinary resonances that, that exist. And of course, um, many people who engage in healing practices and working with these res resonances discover that when, when we start to resonate in a coherent pattern, um, and this is really important to understand about resonance, is that um, um, coherence, when we, we know that particular tissues resonate at, in very sp specific ranges, when we have an incoherent, a chaotic energy system, the processes don't function properly. Again, this points to this idea of DNA assembly that we were just talking about as well. Um, and, and interestingly, the more coherent the energy patterns, patterns, sometimes the less energy there is in it. So when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, we can measure a lot of it. But when we get down to very low energies, suddenly we reach the limits of detection of some of the electromagnetic field detection equipment, and we call that the field of subtle energies. And fascinatingly, some of the subtle energies are amongst the most coherent energy systems we know. And we know that if you measure the healing response from someone who is really practiced at hands-on healing, or doing Reiki, or doing Qigong, we see through these this transmission of these coherent energies that the resonance, the, the resonance pattern within the individual becomes more coherent and they become, as a result, more healthy. The next thing we've got to look at is water. Water is not just a random collection of H2O molecules. It is not. Um, the work of Gerald Pollock that, that discovered um, EZ water, the fourth phase of water, shows that it is a really complex structured matrix that holds information. In fact, Gerald Pollock's group believes that water can contain much more information than silicon. So you're familiar with Silicon Valley and the computer age and silicon chips. Well, hey, we can carry more information in water. So that lends to this idea that how much information is held in natural bodies of, of water, does that mean that, you know, healing waters, say from Lourdes in the Pyrenees in France, or even seawater that's been part of naturopathic solutions for, for eons, could actually be as healing as many of the practitioners who've used them for long periods of time claim. Um, so, um, and carrying information is is really what what is essential to life, that the order, the fact that we are all basically stardust, if we look at it from a chemical perspective, um, we contain the same, you know, minerals that are being combined in specific forms to produce these organic compounds that we, the, the chemistry of carbon that we think of as life, but the organization structure around that is always associated with water. And why is water the dominant part of what we are? So it may be that a huge amount of that electromagnetic information 
is actually contained in the watery matrix that bathes every single cell. Um, and I want to finish off with one more point. So, and that is the tail of a salamander. This just takes you to, to one of the, the great um, biophysicists of the 20th century, um, Robert Becker, who um, did some pretty nasty things to frogs and salamanders, like cutting off their tails, cutting into their spines and cutting off their legs. Um, you recall that, that frogs don't regenerate particularly well. They are kind of, in terms of life forms, they're sitting somewhere in the middle of intermediate complexity. Um, salamanders, in some respects, are a little bit more primitive, but they have this remarkable capacity to regenerate. And basically, one of the things that Robert Becker discovered is the, the way in which they resonate is directly linked to um, bioelectrical currents. In fact, one of the reasons that he moved on to um, working with, uh, with silver ions and electricity and did some groundbreaking work, he was an orthopedic surgeon by background, in terms of um, accelerating bone healing using bioelectricity because it provides this additional charge that sets healing processes into action, which is really moving through. It's kind of essential to life. It exists. Um, it, it's massively upregulated in the salamander compared with a frog. And we can effectively recreate some of the same effects by using frequency, bioelectricity, electromagnetic fields to make us more like a salamander. So um, that's a wrap up essentially of what we're talking about. Um, in our part one of our feature on frequency medicine. Um, we're going to have our second part next week that's going to be looking much more at the devices, the technologies in this field, not so much the hands-on healing. Um, I hope you'll recognize that at the heart of what we're saying is that electromagnetism, um, bioelectricity, um, energy is an essential part of life. And um, we have to now make it part of healthcare because if we ignore it, it's like trying to do healthcare with one arm behind your back. And biochemistry only provides a limited explanation for what life really is. So thank you very much for listening. And um, please subscribe to our channels. Go onto our website, ANH International, and we'll see you soon again. Thank you. <music>